Okay, cool. Let's talk Beetlejuice. Welcome, everyone, to Bottomless Broadway, where we talk musicals over mimosas. Um, as you guys probably know, we're going through this Tony season's musicals. And today, we're going to talk about Beetlejuice. It's showtime. Welcome to a show about death. Beetlejuice. The musical, because it's been noted by a lot of diehard Tim Burton fans that it differs from the movies, is basically just about Beetlejuice. And that's it. He's this like 10 million year old ghost who haunts the house of the Mightlands, who are like white and boring and the butt of a lot of jokes. Then they die, and Beetlejuice convinces them to team up with him so that they can convince the new residents to say his name three times because that frees him from, like, internal damnation or whatever. Um, so the Mightlands, like, sort of agree, but then they try to scare the new residents and they can't do it because they're nice people. And the new residents are Charles Dietz, his second wife, Delia, and then his daughter, better known as the dead mom girl, Lydia. And she's super cool with dead people. She sees these ghosts and she's like, yeah, this is my favorite house, but let's drive out my dad and my stepmom. So she teams up with the Mightlands to scare out her parents. But the Mightlands, as we know, aren't scary. So in the end, she like reluctantly employs Beetlejuice and frees him. Um, and they become friends for like two seconds before he goes crazy and blackmails Lydia into marrying him so he can have the green card to life. Cool. So honestly, that from that summary, it does follow the movie relatively well. But I think it's the way the musical is structured, which, by the way, I have not seen. But it opens like with Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice is very much like the through line through the whole musical. Um but yeah. in the movie, you don't even you hear his name kind of, and it's like this super mysterious thing. But you don't even see him until like almost two thirds into the movie. I want to say maybe a little seventeen minutes that. of screen time. But yeah, so he's like the big shadow looming over the movie that you don't really see a lot. He's seventy five percent of the musical. Like I know people have problems with Alex Brightman, but he a hundred percent carries this show because no one else really shows up. <laughs> I don't I don't know what everyone's doing, but um the cast recording isn't out yet. A lot of the songs weren't super memorable, so I don't have like a crazy amount of things to say about the music, but I think the opening song is the best one. It's kind of like another pretty woman situation where Welcome to Hollywood is like just like sets a tone, you're like, this is gonna be great, and then it's just okay. <laughs> um, but the first song is Invisible slash the whole being dead thing. Um Invisible is actually Lydia's mom's funeral. Does Lydia's mom even die in the movie? Isn't she just like going through a goth phase? Yeah. So that was something that they added because they wanted to like deepen the emotional core of this show because um, the writers have said like, otherwise the main conflict is just quote middle-class property wars. So they really wanted to make it more about Lydia and like how she was feeling. And they don't specify like what happens to her mom and it's almost like a throwaway line where she's like yeah Delia's not my real mom she's my stepmom hmm. and that's about it like otherwise people who miss that line might be like oh she's just like some rebellious child calling her mom by her first name I also heard that like Charles Dietz and Delia are really like terrible people in the movies like proper social climbers but in the musical they're like they're just like stupid people they're like I not I wouldn't call them 
terrible people but they're just mm-hmm. like like delia is this really like avant-garde artist who thinks she is super cool and she is like oh i'm having this dinner with all the important people like you better not mess this up like her losing social standing is like her worst nightmare so they're like yeah and charles is actually like way more chill i guess he's just like yeah i just like buy property and make a ton of money and he doesn't really get delia's art but he's like just like okay yeah go do whatever you want they're the they're the Dursleys. There we go. Yeah, basically. But like less repulsive because they never shot a child in a cupboard. So Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like Matilda's parents. Well, in this one, Lydia honestly is kind of a dick because like Delia's a pretty nice stepmom. Like she's like a little like floofy and dumb and weird, but she's nice. And then Lydia's just like not a great person to them, I guess. And, like, I guess she has the right to be sad because her dad's remarrying after her mom's dead. But she's super depressing. And it looks like general, um, like, reaction to this whole thing isn't that positive. Because I think, like, being known as one of the most famous comedies of the 80s, no one wanted sad shit. And she goes, she sings about her dead mom, like, 16 times in the show. Right. I heard that's the song that, like, never ends, basically. (laughs) They also tried to apparently give Beetlejuice more of, like, a motivation and stuff like that. Because in the movie, he's just there to be crazy. Like, yeah, he does want to be free, but it's he's just, like, a a clown, basically. Yeah, he they gave Beetlejuice, like, a lot of heart, which... I I guess, like, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but probably still angered a lot of the movie fans. Did it make him too sympathetic, though? Because, like, in the end, he's still supposed to be the villain. Yeah. Also, like, he makes fun of himself a lot because they kind of, like, update it to the time. And, like I told you, like, when they get married, he calls himself, like, I'm the creepy old guy. This age difference is totally not okay. And he, like, says weird stuff like that. So he's mostly just, like, funny and aware. Okay, so part of that also I'm thinking might come from the cartoons because they made this like Beetlejuice cartoon. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of wacky actually because from what I've seen about it, I haven't actually watched any of the episodes, but it's basically like Beetlejuice and Lydia going on adventures in the netherworld and um, the writers are mentioning how like in that cartoon, Beetlejuice is kind of like her pet demon, which... They didn't really want to do that kind of power dynamic, but they also did draw some inspiration from the cartoon. So maybe that's why, like, he's this sort of more woke character. Interesting. Actually, um, speaking of the Netherworld, um, I don't know if they, like, made any statement about this in the movie. Because in the musical, it seemed like they were trying to make a point with the people that were dead. Because it was basically all, like, NFL players or people with guns. Okay, so they did have the NFL players, but that uh-huh. was more of a joke. When you get to Juno, who's, like, the caseworker for, um, what's her face? It's the Mightlands. Mm-hmm. When they die, she's, like, trying to have a meeting with them. And all these, like, football players are crowded around her, like, yo, coach, like, what are we supposed to do, coach? Like, that car crash was crazy, coach. And then, like, later they're like... <laughs> wait, coach, I think we died in that car crash or something like that. Like, they're really dumb. In the movie, like, Lydia's obsessed with, like, all things dark and strange. Or she has this line where she's like, oh, most people don't see ghosts because they just ignore them. But I am I am the strange and unusual or something like that. I, too, am strange and unusual. Yeah. Yeah, um, they have merch for that. I love it. <laughs> and, but she meets the Mightlands and 
she like loves the white lens and they love her but then when Beetlejuice comes into the scene, she's kind of like, who is this? She's like creeped out by him. She only agrees to like help him out because she wants to help the Mightlands. Like she never would have made a deal with him otherwise. She actually taunts him because, you know, you say his name three times to free him. She says it twice and then she like thinks about it. She's like, nah, I'm going to leave now. Oh, and- she does that in the musical. Okay. Um, It's actually out. That song is called Say My Name. Okay. Yeah. He always says like Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Bia, whatever. Like she starts with the same uh-huh. syllable, and um, yeah. Okay, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, be a Don Spare the I'm offering you a full time specter. Alex Brightman's acting, I think, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophia Ann Caruso, that's her name, right? Yes. Sophia Ann Caruso. She's what? She's like seventeen. Yep. She's young. I wrote that down. Um, she's really she's exactly seventeen. I just yeah pulled that out of my ass, but that's cool. Um, she's a fantastic singer, not a fantastic actor. I don't think. I don't think, um, especially like next to Alex Brightman. I don't think it worked very well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's maybe her character. I mean, I'm not. I haven't seen her, but she has done quite a bit of stage work in the past. Yeah. Um, so she actually like does have a resume and stuff and like this is not the first time she's been on Broadway so Mm -hmm. um and she has mentioned in an interview that she also is like kind of drawn to sort of like the darker side and never really had a childhood but doesn't feel like she wanted one (laughs) um well like I think that not having a childhood one is more because like she's always been doing like she's been working Uh um like her first credit is like 2013 in Seattle and I think there's something where it was like both her and um, Alex Brightman were together and Alex Brightman was like, yeah, like she seems older than me sometimes. I mean, a lot of people still have a lot of issues with how Alex Brightman's acting and he is playing himself a little, but I think if you don't know the movie, it's not bad, but he does this thing where he spells out his name like B-E-T-L-E-G-U-S-E. Uh-huh. In like fast rap and then he jumps into singing and it's just like the whole chorus kind of and right. he repeats it um and then he just like missed a letter and totally fucked up but like if you weren't paying attention <laughs> you totally wouldn't have noticed because he was just like whatever i'm dead on your spell and then he like still hit the next cue for the singing <laughs> so it was amazing and he breaks the fourth wall a lot because his songs are like that it's kind of an interesting choice it definitely makes the thing like the whole show more comedic Mm -hmm. um I personally like it I wouldn't be surprised if people didn't he says Mm -hmm. a lot of like really fourth wall breaking things like he said the I do this bullshit like eight times a week and then he's like oh like people in the front row enjoy your $50 wine so since we're recording this before official reviews came out I also looked up how it was received in DC where it did its tryout earlier okay. last year. I mean, everyone praised the design. Like David Corns' yes. set is definitely, I think, the highlight of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and also the uh, writers, Scott Brown and Anthony King, who did the book, have mentioned this too. In DC, like people were laughing, but they were also like, hey, this is funny, but I can't take my mom to this. And so like the humor was kind of too lewd and too family unfriendly for the people who like wanted to wanted it to be like a family affair kind of thing Mm -hmm. um Um, yeah they talk about coke beetlejuice is like bye i think that's just how it is 
But we can actually definitely talk about the set because it is amazing. Um, first of all, the Mightland's house. I don't actually know how they do this because at first I thought it was just like lighting tricks. Mm-hmm. But they change like the wallpaper on the house like four times in the show. First, like the Mightland's house, and then it's um, like Charles and Delia's like tacky decor, and then it becomes like Beetlejuice's tacky decor, and it just like keeps doing crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no clue how they did it. Right? Like, yeah. I really thought it was some lighting, but I think the wallpaper's changing. I was really shocked. Like, I don't know how they did that. The staging is super cool because they just have, like, so there's this one scene where, like, nine Beetlejuices just, like, basically appear out of thin air, but I think they're just strategically hidden behind furniture. And that was straight up magical. Also, the that like Deo Banana Boat song where they get possessed in the movie. You know how like the pig sings and like the shrimp cocktail grabs them and all that stuff? Right. Um, they did all of that on stage. They didn't okay. miss like any of it. Do you know if it's like puppets or something? I think it's mechanical. I don't know. Maybe the shrimp is since they're on the table. So I guess they could have a lot of ensemble members hidden under because they have like eight people at the table. So they would have to put a lot of people. Or just some like crazy foot stuff. Yeah, I I have no clue. Aside from like this whole wallpaper thing, it doesn't change a lot because they kind of stay in the house the entire time until they go to the Netherworlds. There's a Playbill article, I think, that I can link um, but the wallpaper part of it was inspired by Tim Burton's drawings because Tim Burton, before he became mm. like a big director, he actually used to like sketch cartoons and stuff like that. Um, mm. So they get, got some of his original drawings to sort of replicate that feel. And they also actually got access to, I think, some of his original screenplays um, for Beetlejuice, which he did not write, but um, they had a lot of different things going on before in previous iterations that they may or may not have used in the musical, but they definitely like at least took a look at it to try to figure out where they wanted to go with how to write the musical. So there's a lot of sort of like Easter eggs in there that David Corrins mentioned about the set too. The lighting extends to the audience. So like as soon as you walk into the theater, you get this like very mystical feeling because I think they have this like black blue light situation going on if you look at like my playbill photos um my playbill like the yellow playbill part looks red because i i don't know how do you make yellow red hostum is like whatever okay so yeah we've mentioned william ivy long for tootsie and he also did the costumes here which Mm -hmm. is interesting because i did mention he's like 71 so he was talking to lydia who's like 17 or sophia and caruso And he was talking about, like, working with a 17-year-old and how she would be like, oh, like, this is stuff that I see, like, middle schoolers or whatever, how old Lydia's supposed to be, like, wearing. I would be interested in, like, wearing this or, like, oh, this looks cool. Can we try to do something with this? And so they kind of, like, collaborated on that. Um, One of the other things that was mentioned was that goth is, like, less unsettling than it was before like at the time that this movie came out and it's almost kind of mainstream now like being goth is a whole thing that people do 
And so they needed to find sort of other elements to make these costumes a little more unsettling and a little more like otherworldly so that it's not just like, oh, it's some like punk ass middle school kid who's just like dressing in all black to seem cool or something like that. I legit thought she was in mourning the whole time. I don't think she was scary at all. You know, the vampire from Hotel Transylvania, the girl. Uh huh. She just gave, yeah. like, uh, that vibe a little bit. And that girl's not scary. That girl just wears black. Lydia was basically in, like, $20 black lace the whole time. The uh-huh. whole two and a half hours. But also because she has this whole, like, dead mom fixation thing. I wonder if they did that on purpose. But they did talk about, like, trying to make Beetlejuice. I don't know if, it, like, unsettling is the right word. Because he has these just, like, skewed pinstripes. Which are apparently inspired by Alexander McQueen. But we're also, like, in the movie a little bit, so. Yeah, I mean, people associate Beetlejuice with the pinstripes, right? Mm-hmm. He just looks grimy the whole time. His hair is a little green, <laughs> like, whatever. Um, my favorite outfit of the entire show is probably for Bows. They, every single character changed for Bows so that they were all in the pinstri- pinstripes. Well, not Lydia, like, she was still in black. But, like, all the ensemble members changed into the pinstripes and did this like dance thing and it was really cool because you just got to see this like one pattern translate onto like 25 different costumes with like different silhouettes and everything and that was Mm -hmm. really cool um and also like I always feel like it's baller move to change for bows right but aside from that I don't recall any good outfits I wouldn't say costumes a standout, especially compared to scenic. Um, but just so really quickly about like the songs and the characters, I guess. Um, the second song is Ready, Set, Not Yet, which is when you meet the Mightlands. And it's actually like a pretty funny no filter song where they talk about um, how they're not ready for life. They're like, they're like, I built this crib. It's perfect. It's amazing. It's made of super expensive wood, but the glue might kill you. And we're just not ready for kids yet. <laughs> and they just like say all these really weird things until they basically fall through the floor while they're singing. Beetlejuice comes on stage. She's like, "Yep, they're gonna die soon. They're gonna die soon." And then they just <laughs> fall through the floor. I'm like, "All right then." Like in their house. Yeah. Guess they couldn't afford another set. <laughs> nope. They just fell through the floor and then they climb up and Beetlejuice is like, "Hello, dead people." And then and then Beetlejuice just keeps making fun of them because they're supposed to be these like boring, can't scare you people. Um, and he says some great, pretty great things about it. Like, I still think it's weird that he keeps on making white jokes about them since Alex Brightman is white and Michael Keaton is white. <laughs> he says stuff like, oh, you guys seem nice, but just like a little on the pottery barn and dry white wine side. OK, they have a Girl Scout song, which is literally like a girl scout selling cookies she knocks on this door and then she finds out it's haunted and then the beautiful sound and the beautiful sound reprise come up next i don't know why they keep doing the song and it's reprise right after the other but whatever Uh um and the beautiful sound is literally just like scared people because they keep scaring people and then lydia and beetlejuice are like whoa we're so cool high five that's the most beautiful sound in the world shit goes down A really funny one that I feel like was Avenue Q-esque um, called If I Knew Then What I Know Now, which is 
a former Miss Argentina singing in the Netherworld. And it's actually played by Delia, but she just puts on like a tacky, sparkly dress, more tacky Mm -hmm. than Delia, I guess, who's already quite tacky. And does this one like amazing belt and no one really knows where it came from. So it's kind of like that one song in what's is like Lucy or something. Oh, special that Lucy the Slut sings. Lucy the Slut. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's called special. It's basically that song. Um, I don't know why Lucy the Slut was in Avenue Q. I don't know why Miss Argentina is in Beetlejuice, but it's there. And it might also be like a homage to the movie that they like just blew up because when the Mightlands first get to the Netherworld, they have to wait in this like like ungodly waiting room. And Miss Argentina is like the um really annoyed accountant that is like oh didn't you read this book like you're supposed to these are the rules like you should know this and like the mightlands have a few more scenes and stuff but that's really all they get so they're definitely not the main characters of the show and i actually thought they were great like alex brightman aside i think the actors for the mightlands so they're carrie butler and rob mcclure who um I've both been around. Like Carrie Butler was just in Mean Girls as both Miss Norbury and Regina's mom. Oh, and so she left. She was like the first one to leave Mean Girls, and that was like to come do this. I think hmm. Rob McClure was, I think, most recently in Something Rotten. Um, but he's also done stuff before that. I think Alex Brightman aside, they had like the most stage presence. Yeah, it sounds like they basically tried to make it the Alex Brightman plus ensemble show. Um, yeah, like I know Lydia is definitely going to be a lead actress, but I almost feel like she's not. Right. Kind of like the whole fans visit Tony Shalhoub thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Sophia sings, you know, so. <laughs> but like in terms exactly, of like but... size of role. Yeah. And I mean, also. I think Alex Brightman just like knows knows how to manage a crowd. I like it. I think more people had just issues with the way that they did the show because it's a very different tone and very different sort of takeaway than the movie is. And so mm-hmm. if you go into it wanting to like relive the movie or something like that, then it's really not. Yeah. Which I guess because I'm too scared to watch the movie, I wasn't surprised by the musical at all because I was like oh it's called Beetlejuice so it's about Beetlejuice (laughs) Uh but I guess not and I think if the musical was better Alex Brightman might stick out like a sore thumb where you're like oh he's just being himself and not just like really too hammy or something exactly he's exactly that kind of same humor but the musical's not great. Right. So he actually ends up being the better part of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> what happens in the movie is it's more like this kind of creepy, absurd humor. Like it's more on the creepy horror side. And then it's just so absurdist that you like have to laugh to release tension kind of humor. And mm. this sounds more of the like farcical played for gags kind of humor so very two very different things there's there's like 
mildly highbrow humor down to all the really crass stuff. Um, God, what was the line? It was very hard trying to write down lyrics in my notebook in the dark. Um, something like, being dead is my oeuvre. Uh-huh. I make crossing over so much smoother or something like that. Um, okay. So there's stuff that's like mildly academic. I don't not academic. Um, mildly. I don't know. Not crass. <laughs> uh-huh. And then there's the Coke stuff. Right. But they, they yeah. were all over the place. Like every Beetlejuice song was funny. And then every Lydia song was depressing. And it was like, do you want me to do watch an 80s comedy? Or is this like an emo pop song? Because I don't know where we're at right now in this relationship. Right. And I just don't think that worked as a book. Yeah. And I feel like they had a hard time mm. trying to decide where to land the humor. Because, um, like you mentioned, there is some like highbrow, but then also a lot of it is just really mildly um, <laughs> not highbrow. <laughs> but yeah, and so like I guess to kind of transition into movie musicals overall, because we talked about a few Tootsie and how it's a fairly good movie adaptation where it does like improve the script and bring it into sort of more modern um more modern sensibilities like not to say that it's perfect but it has done probably one of the best jobs of adapting from a movie into a musical while retaining like a lot of the things that people loved about the original movie but making it less like cringeworthy to watch now and like you know people have slammed like um pretty woman and like mean girls and stuff for just being the movie like carbon copied on stage and now they sing and so Beetlejuice does at least I guess take a risk with that and not making that carbon copy but I feel like where they've lost people is they just weren't able to capture that same essence of the movie that people did love and enjoy so much yeah like I was kind of talking about how like I don't think Beetlejuice was big enough of a movie to draw in like fans of the movie as a crowd and Beetlejuice, like, by far is. Like, everyone knows Beetlejuice. And just deviating from the movie so much was probably not the right path to go down. It'll actually be interesting to see how well it does in the future, since it does seem like it's a fun time for people who aren't trying to expect the movie or maybe who haven't seen the movie and just, like, want to go to the theater for a night. But um, at the same time, you know, these people who do want the movie are, like, kind of upset about it. So it'll be interesting to see, like, which group of people wins out. Because, you know, Broadway's just run on who pays the money for tickets. Yeah, it's... I actually think it's catering to maybe a younger crowd. Because I guess people that were fans of this in the 80s are older now, right? Mm -hmm. And... um just there's so much cursing and there's like some very liberal statements. I think there's a line where he was like, I feel so powerless, like a gay Republican or like <laughs> stuff like that. He says shit like every two seconds. He was like, I'm like a fertilizer. I make this shit wiser or whatever. I don't really remember. 
Um, uh-huh. But like, there is so much cursing. I have never heard so much cursing on a Broadway show, even ones that have like more sex or like R-rated scenes. Book of Mormon. Yes. Even like Book of Mormon. There is so much cursing in Beetlejuice. I was But I guess shocked. like uh-huh. because Book of Mormon, they do it to prove a point, you know. Mm-hmm. Like every time they curse in Book of Mormon, there's like a reason. Because like the Africans are very fed up with their way of life and they're just like, well, fuck this. And like, you know, kind of that thing. But it sounds like Beetlejuice is more just cursing to be cool. It's just to be like slapstick. Which, which, Book of Mormon's pretty slapstick, but in a different way. Right. Um, I don't know. But I think, um, I don't even know if it's going to get nominated as a best musical. Well, so we'll see when the reviews come out, which by the time we post this episode, they'll probably be out. But I mean, it seems like set is a lock. Um, best musical right now, the top three are definitely Hades Town Tootsie Prom. And okay. we have five slots. Um, it seems like Ain't Too Proud is probably going to take the fourth one based on reviews, but mm-hmm. the critics are not the same people that make up the nominating body for the Tonys. So it really depends if they feel like it's a jukebox musical worthy enough to be nominated, I guess. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure share it like Trump's share show though. Really? Um, unless they really have nostalgia for share. I mean because I guess it would be fine if it were nominated for Best Musical because in the big three, it might have the best chance at Best Musical because with book, I feel like that's just like disrespecting all of the movie fans and Tim Burton. Right. Um, with score, like let's be real, Eddie Perfect doesn't deserve that. <laughs> no, um, I think I still think Alex Brightman can squeeze in a Best Actor. That's five people too, right? Yeah. And who is there really? Well, Santino, well, Oklahoma, Damon Dono, um, Kiss Me Kate is Will Chase, Hades Town maybe Reeve Carney. Ain't too proud. Um. Ain't too proud, probably. Okay. Um, we don't really need one from prom. There isn't one from Cher. Prom, oh, Brooks has Manchkis. Yeah, but... Uh, for Barry, I mean, could. But his role is very solid. Yeah, but he's, like, barely a lead but, actor. Right. But it's not stand out in the way that Beetlejuice or, like, Tootsie is. And even compared to Beth Level, he's in the show a lot less. So, like... And, mm-hmm. like, I was surprised that, like, Beth Lovell and Emma squeezed in lead together. I'm more surprised that Barry did, too. Like, right. what? Um, I think it, they might nominate him just to sort of, like, appreciate him. Because I feel like they do that sometimes. Like, we're going to acknowledge that you did work. You know? Yeah. Because, like, they aren't objectively, like, oh, the, who this is who the best actor is this year. Yeah. And this is probably... I would say the most commercial musical, well, King Kong aside, but we don't even talk about that. <laughs> Actually, it's like random side note, but like I was on Today Takes and they were like, Hollywood's biggest star is on Broadway. I was like, oh, who is this? Is this Ryan Gosling? And I was like, oh, it's literally the gorilla. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Which is interesting because um, Eddie Perfect, you know, also wrote the music for King Kong. 
Um, it's a very commercial musical, and they could always choose to pull another band's visit situation and be like, right. fuck this shit. So, I mean, like, <laughs> if we're talking about the last two slots of Best Musical, Tony, we have Ain't Too Proud, Share Show, Beetlejuice, and Be More Chill seem like the four most likely contenders. I think there's a slight possibility of Head Over Heels squeezing in oh if they really God. want to acknowledge the um, the community that it serves. At least in terms of like what people are thinking of, it's still on people's minds. Like people haven't forgotten about but it. Which so did the... I think people have forgotten about getting the band back together. So, <laughs> which getting the band back together, like ugh, the main character is basically just the main character from School of Rock. When I watched Beetlejuice, I was actually like, this reminds me of getting the band back together. It's probably not good, <laughs> <laughs> but. It's fine. It's just like they took a commercial thing that even if it wasn't going to be an awards sure thing, could have been a box office sure thing, might still be. But they just like made it worse. And it's like, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. But well, um, so the reason why um, <laughs> you wanted that answer is because, you know, as usual, the movie studio was like, hey, Disney's has really great success with putting their show or putting their movies on Broadway which like I think is an unfair comparison because their movies were already musicals anyway but whatever um but yeah so like with Tootsie where Sony Pictures signed a deal with the producer Warner Brothers created this like theater ventures arm of their company to like make musicals out of their movies um which they've had for a bit like they did Elf a little bit ago with the same um creative team as the prom and they just did charlie and the chocolate factory like a couple years ago it's on tour now neither of which were like are huge successes in general elf is like still comes back around like around every christmas time so it's like people know about it um and then charlie was never a huge hit on broadway it was also in the west end bad out of hell was this like jim steinman um meatloaf concept album that's been that's a whole other story because it was supposed to have a national tour the national tour is canceled it's supposed to go to new york no one knows if this is actually happening um but should be interesting a star is born is apparently also in the pipeline what um yeah does anyone want to see that again not well they were like oh like everyone's talking about it this is a great time to do it which I was like I don't know if people are tired of it though like because I would be yeah Um, it was in theaters for like six months there's this really great Forbes article which I can also link that basically talks about this whole division and how they keep failing like at some point Tim Burton was signed on to do like a Batman adaptation or something like that um okay and it, it was wild. Um, and so, and then they got acquired by AT&T. So like, who knows if they're still going to like do all this stuff. Um, but yeah, so Beetlejuice was like part of that. And Beetlejuice was kind of like another testing ground for them because Elf and Charlie didn't do super well. So they're like, if Beetlejuice works, we could keep doing stuff. And if it doesn't, then maybe we'll never see a star is born the musical so yeah i mean this and also like tim burton's batman which is michael keaton again um maybe they're just like such cult classics that depended on the style and the era and the director and michael keaton that like (laughs) it just doesn't work 
I don't know. It just, yeah, I mean, so. Warner Brothers always trying to catch up with Disney. What's new? What's new right. here? This is just like DC and Marvel. You can't do it. <laughs> but yeah, um, and then the director for this musical, Alex Timbers, he is also going to be doing Moulin Rouge later this year, which is also based off another musical. Wait, is um, he already doing, like, did he do it off Broadway? Yeah, he did the out-of-town tryout. Um and then I guess he like Hot he's over. I guess just been bouncing Busy back and forth man. between musicals. <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Um so we'll see what he brings to that. Should be interesting. I mean Moulin, Moulin Rouge is also already a musical, you know? So Right. And and the movie's perfect. Like what do you have to change? Just don't fuck it up. Well, they did add like more modern songs and stuff, so we'll see how well that works. Oh, come on. I don't know if you've looked at the track list, I but it's haven't. on Wikipedia. It is modern. Elton John is modern. <laughs> I love it when guys are like, I don't like musicals. I like rock. I'm like, classical rock and musical theater are basically the same genre. Like, Andrew Lloyd Webber started out with rock. Are you going to tell me that Queen? isn't theatrical like elton john isn't theatrical like classical rock is musical theater stop it what are lydia's chances real quick so i think a lot of people think she might get nominated just because she was also singled out for praise um a lot of people were impressed with her i think Mm -hmm. Uh, but just to go over the leading actress category real quick i guess we have um stephanie j block for share uh, Kelly O'Hara for Kiss Me Kate. Um, Eva Nobozada. Beth Level. Eva Nobozada for Town. Beth Level for Prom. Um, and yeah, it? so it's like, it's between her. Well, Rebecca Naomi Jones for Oklahoma is, I think, the assumed uh, other no. one. <laughs> I think a lot of people thought she was weak mm-hmm. or the like the weakest part of the show. But she could, because the Tonys also do this thing where, like, if they nominate or vote for one part of a musical, they tend to, like, vote for all of the parts of it, yeah. you know? I do know. Um, as we discovered with Fans Visit. <laughs> um, so she might get swept in with that. The other options, it's mostly, like, if Sophia Ann Caruso could, like, beat out her, I think she would probably be the e- one to draw. I don't think Samantha Barks will get a nomination, oh, which she deserves it more than both of both Sophia and what's her. Face. I'd love for her too, but I mean, if the nominations I think are within three votes of each other, like the bottom two, get six. Um, yeah, oh, which is what happened last God. year. Six? I think they had five last year. They had six in leading actress wow. last year. Okay. Um, I would love to see Samantha Barks. I don't know why they're shutting out Pretty Woman so hard. It's not good, but there's a lot of losers this year. Like, you want to talk not good, let's talk Be More Chill. I don't know. We will be talking about those on our next episode. We really will. Um, But what's her face? Sophia. Sophia is, she has like kind of like a Disney princess voice. It's beautiful. Her range is amazing. Um... But she does sing like a child. Like, I wouldn't think she were a good singer if you told me she was 30. Because when she gets high up there, mm-hmm. she gets, like, really nasally. Um, okay. So. I mean, I guess it, like, works 
both because she is a child and because she's playing a child. Exactly. She's playing a child. I didn't know that she was a child at first because I don't know. She just didn't seem like one. She was like very confident on the stage. And I was like, wow, I wonder where they found such a tiny adult. And then I was like, I wonder (laughs) where they found such a tiny adult that has such a nasal singing voice. (laughs) It's like, oh, she's 17. Now everything makes sense. Now she's great. I I wouldn't tell people to not see this show. I think it's fun and funny. Just manage your expectations. Yeah. Manage your expectations. Don't pay six hundred dollars to watch it. You know. Typical things. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, you can um, subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you feel like listening to this. Um, if you're there, please leave us a review as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at BottomlessBWay and email us at BottomlessBWay at gmail.com or check out our blog, BottomlessBWay.home.blog. So feel free to say hi to us or let us know how we're doing and we should be back sometime in about two weeks with With maybe finally be more chill and pretty woman. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening and goodbye. Bye. Hi, I'll be your guide. I'll be your G-U-I-D-E to the other side. Because I myself am strange and unusual.